0: Illusions. we're really excited to welcome back one of our game of thrones recap uh panelists back to the show for and also and also this is actually our first star trek episode so there's two really big exciting moments and we're covering an episode of star trek which it's almost originally i was gonna say divisive but um i think the community is probably a little uh a uh, bit more toward the unanimous side over uh, Star Trek Voyagers season two's threshold, which is uh, sometimes regarded as one of the worst episodes of Star Trek. I don't think either Alexandra or myself really agree with that sentiment. And uh, I'm really excited to welcome Alexandra August back to the show. Uh, Alexandra, Hello. do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: I sure do. Uh, my name is Alexandra August. Um, I'm a freelance journalist in the Los Angeles area. I write for outlets including comic book resources, Screen Rant, Fandom, and Star Trek.com as of very recently. Um I am a diehard Voyager fan, and I actually
0: really like this episode. You can find you can tweet me about that at @alexaugust. August. Yeah, this is um this episode is uh, I think it's a treasure of Voyager. It's it's wild, it's one of the few, uh, episodes that you can just say, Oh, it's the salamander episode. And everybody knows what you're talking about. Yeah. And, uh, it's, it's really for all, for all the, for all the techno babble and the, uh, really bizarre turn towards the end that really kind of comes out of nowhere. I think it's actually, uh, it's, it's very entertaining. So the, whether, whether quality, whether quality really factors into that. I'm not a hundred percent sure this, this, uh, podcast is fresh off a, retrospective of uh uh joel schumacher's batman and robin so uh, <laughs> I've, I've been spending a lot of time in the low brow of the i guess this would have been yeah this is the 90s also this is uh, yeah yeah this was around the same time yeah yeah this would have been oh wow this actually may have been literally 1997 how great what a great year for what a great year for entertainment oh indeed oh uh, it was 96 oh close, okay. though. we got a good we got a good stretch it's okay yeah let's start do you want to Gonna start in the uh in the the fake out in the uh, hologram room where right they're yeah. the holodeck. <laughs> I like the hologram room. We could call it that. It Would be funny if that was said, like just a really a
1: hipster bar in like San Francisco in the twenty fourth century. is called the hologram room. Just somebody who it's missed upon being analog and is like not gonna call it the holodeck. We'll call it the hologram room, and it's very cool. Yeah,
0: cool. they had all of those really great hologram uh hol- <laughs> holodeck uh. They had all those great holodeck sets. The the bar, they had the beach yeah. area. They had uh, Leonardo da Vinci's workshop. Yeah, at, um, that stupid pub. Yeah, where uh, <laughs> where Seven of Nine practiced her dating. They.
1: yeah where Janeway dated a hologram too. It was a lot.
0: Yeah, do you think that Janeway would have preferred to have dated the hologram or uh, Salamander Paris? Oh, neither, Chakotay. <laughs> No, Chicote, has to be a seven. No,
1: I will. I will. I will turn this podcast around. I will turn this podcast right <laughs>
0: around. So we start in the holodeck yeah. where Paris is. Well, we don't know we're in the holodeck. We're concerned Ooh. because Paris is having trouble trying to go to warp ten, and he gets there, but then the the things start getting unravelled. Uh, the nacelles start falling oh, yeah, off, they, yeah. and He's gonna. You think he's gonna die, and you think a character who. <laughs> I actually kind of realized one of the one of the strengths of the Star Trek series as a whole is. I would probably list Tom Paris as my least favorite character in the whole in, uh, of the regular characters in the whole franchise, and yet I, I don't hate him, and I, I'm not even. I, I don't really dislike him all that much. It's probably a tie between Paris and Harry Kim for. He's just not that interesting. Like, he's
1: hes just, I mean, he's there's one dude like him who's either a screw-up or a Lothario or both on every single Star Trek. And the thing is, like, Tom Paris's redemption arc, it doesn't really exist that dramatically once they get to the Delta Quadrant. Like, what else is he going to do? And you get the sense that he wasn't really that big a criminal to begin with. Like, he's not that much of an asshole. He's just he's a spoiled. he's a rich kid and he got himself in trouble and he's ultimately really sympathetic like the minute that you meet him and then he's just you don't really see him suffer or be or be a shitty person long enough to make him that interesting he's just this sort of vanilla fun-loving simple guy who likes analog television and planes like he's just not he's not to me that dynamic and him his relationship with the Lana torres was so predictable like there's just of all the people that I wanted to watch, like I was more curious about Neelix episodes because at least it would be something kind of unique, hopefully, but, um, Paris just isn't that sparkly.
0: Yeah. Whenever people compare Neelix to Jar Jar Binks, well, I I actually have a soft spot for Jar Jar Binks, so I tend to defend him too, but I hear
1: that. Especially after the actor, like nearly killed himself after the public response backlash to that. Like, Oh,
0: Ahmad Beth, uh, he's, you know, I, I really, he got a standing ovation at the past Star Wars celebration. Oh, good. Long overdue. I've, I've wanted to do a Defense of the Phantom Menace sometime on the show also, but as as it relates to Neelix, I, I don't understand how you can really hate the guy. For, for me, there's other aspects of Voyager that are far more hateable than the, the friendly Talaxian who apparently has uh engineer experience as he said in the beginning of threshold he's kind of uh, well it sounds like um this is something
1: that i kind of wanted to get into just in terms of like work theory because i was looking at reasons people despise this episode and part of it at least um part one thing that i've con- seen consistently mentioned is apparently how it flies in the face of canon as it, as, it, as it as it surrounds warp field theory and zephyrm cochran and i correct me if i'm wrong but i don't Know that warp field theory has been so has has been like has been so was so nailed down by Star Trek that this isn't so impossible. Especially when you consider in like All Good Things, Beverly Crusher's ship can go warp thirteen. So you don't really always know what scale they're yep. using series to series. Like I don't know. Did, did that did that bother you? Did that sort of science of it get bother you?
0: No, I mean Voyager is really the most techno babble heavy of all the shows. I mean, and, and maybe that's. Reflective of the fact that um, a lot of the a lot of the conflict just kind of needed to be centered around that because they were often just kind of off on their own. Just just from the perspective right. of of this this episode in particular, you've got it's it's an episode with, with the only guest star doesn't even actually interact with anybody. I mean, Jonas interacts with Torres briefly, but his just only lurks. notable <laughs> thing is to, yeah, he he just he has his uh call. scene where he's tattling on the yeah and i mean we'll 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 get into that bit uh a little later but it's it voyager had a a really big trouble on their hands they had to sort of manufacture conflict a lot more than um well i guess the the impetus surrounding starfleet people aren't really supposed to be in conflict with each other would have created issues earlier but uh, i'm doing a rewatch of the original series now and it's you're just reminded of just how few episodes really just take place on the on the actual ship versus going off world. And Voyager, on the other hand, has a lot where they just they don't go down to planets. So yeah, I mean that's obviously something that I I, I didn't really warp theory. You know, it, it, it's it's like watching an episode of the first um first season and uh, the before the before it's Starfleet and getting annoyed about that. I mean continuity. This show has really, really impressive continuity, and I, you know, the difference between Warp 9.3 and Warp 10, to me, I don't really That's care. That's the thing. Like, I, I, when I remember first watching this, thinking this was a really interesting
1: concept, and I was a pretty, I was probably, like, maybe 12 or 13 when this came out. Um, Yeah, 13. And... I remember, I love the shot of Janeway in the shuttle as they approach warp 15 and the camera just kind of zooms in on our face and then it completely just blows out as you see her begin to sort of occupy every moment in space time. So like from a kid's perspective, I remember thinking this was really intriguing and I liked the fact that Star Trek was going this way. But um, we discussed before the podcast, I didn't exactly view this episode with a critical eye and probably am to a degree still unable to do that since I have such affection for it. But um I, yeah, of all the, like, I tend to be pretty sensitive to canon because I'm proud of Star Trek's continuity. I've um, become a little bit less attached to it uh, with Discovery just because I feel like they're going to play a little bit faster and looser with it. But um, I also right. have stopped expecting it to be 100% perfect. So not only did this not, like, tick a canon box for me initially, it's still it continues not to because it's just not a, con. it's like, it's a concept they visited only once, clearly because it didn't work very well. And apparently, people people wrote in about this episode like in droves. There it was a, actually a huge public backlash both on the internet and in, and in like snail mail, which I thought was interesting and surprised me. But um,
0: yeah, I can only. Uh, I mean, we talk about how many uh, how how Twitter is this toxic place where uh, people can just hurl hurl mm-hmm. feces at anyone. Can you imagine like somebody just sitting <sighs> down with their pen and paper being like excuse me, Warp 10 is not really something that would have uh, resulted in salamander-like uh, conditions. But I just just kind of because of the timing of, of this rewatch for this episode, I, I thought a lot naturally of uh, the Infinity Gauntlet and Endgame and the just the notion of mm-hmm. uh, omniscience. And to have the absolute power that they're really hinting at Uh, In the beginning of the episode of to be everywhere at once. To have that sort of be the be the setup and then the execution is uh, (sighs) Salamander. um, Okay, fair.
1: All right. I see that.
0: (laughs) I guess, you know, Voyager always kind of had to deal with the fact that um, I I always kind of joke to people that the easiest way for the Voyager ship to get home would be to make getting home the plot of an episode because then they would have solved it naturally by the end of it um but naturally that show couldn't do that and they really had to tread carefully uh with regard to any notion of how to get home they 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 do kind of keep track especially more in the later years and it, it's obviously an issue when uh q appears because janeway you know, the the big elephant in the room is <laughs> like
1: fucking yeah. send us home just do it just do it. Well, I've actually, I will say like that never bothered me too, too much because I feel like they had grounded Q's sort of misanthrope character in enough. I feel like that had been grounded enough that I didn't even when he did come on. I, a, I didn't expect him. I didn't really expect that to be a thing because he's like he's
0: just not he's not a nice guy. He's not a no. charitable
1: person. He does. Um, he does. Or at least you have to earn that yeah. with him. He
0: does shave a little time off the clock. I think in the episode where his son appears, uh, I I could be wrong, but I'm, I'm yeah. I, I, I think it's like fifteen years or so, and they do they do have their way. They I, they actually handle that uh, pretty well, but it, it's always I, I somewhere somewhere in like the beginning of the episode, the idea that this is really their ticket home was was sort of where the episode was headed. And well, because they, they also did that
1: a lot in the early seasons, like yeah. especially in season one, less so throughout season two, which I think made sense. But like they were looking for ways home, like every other episode, there was a distinct possibility. And then, like, luckily, they kind of moved away from that. But I remember the first two seasons being populated with a lot more, are they going to get home or could we get home this way episodes?
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, they, um, they hadn't really uh, settled. I mean, we, we're still not really. I I don't think season the early seasons had a lot of them sort of trying to figure out the resources or the trading or like the one episode where they get like caught in the the, the vortex or something with all the other the ships and they have to form a sort of oh, mini, yeah. mini alliance to get out blanking on the name of the episode but uh, I mean I, I I know that you have a lot of affection for this particular season of Voyager and um, I, I I think that this episode. Does a good job of, um, they they even in the production of the episode, we're talking about how they wanted to break a rule of Trek. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I I guess they did from the perspective of, they, uh, turned main characters into salamanders and then turned them back, which is probably what they weren't going for. But I, I I guess as, as people can kind of look at that and say, isn't that stupid? I think what it would have been stupider would be if they had taken, uh, Paris or taken Paris and Janeway, had them be everywhere at once. It's such a big, um, concept. And, you know, that's something that the next generation tread carefully toward or, or even, um, Deep Space Nine making, uh, Cisco the emissary, the sort of macro, uh, godlike figures in Trek, uh, really come up sparingly for, a show that has 700-plus uh, episodes. Right. I'm glad you mentioned the continuity with Discovery because I actually, the one time when they had the sort of high-tech FaceTime on the Enterprise and then they said, we'll never use this again, <laughs> I kind of laughed. Yeah, I kind of laughed and I was like, okay, you know, I'm glad... I, I, I'm sort of glad that they mentioned that, but on the flip side, I also was like, okay, I roll. I would rather... I, I like... I like that they're not totally married to the aesthetics of the original series, but yeah, it's got to do its own thing. I mean, the, the the solution would be to do what the Picard series is doing and just make episodes in the future. I, I don't really understand their reluctance beyond uh, moving beyond the, uh, I guess, where Nemesis left things off, but uh, that's you know they're 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 obviously going to address that soon i guess yeah
1: i mean it's supposed to be set 15 years after nemesis i believe or no 15 years after the events of Ro- yeah romulan uh gets 2009 the romulan destruction yeah we were talking my friend and i were talking about how old that actually makes picard and like apparently he's pushing 90 it's like technically if you go by actual continuity and canon so i'm preferring just not to think about that uh well, McCoy was pretty damn old in the first episode. Yeah, but that was something they never addressed again was elongated lifespans of humans. Like, it just didn't really come up with enough consistency that's to true. make me think, that okay, that's a rule for this universe, that humans, which, I mean, that's what I believe it, though, of course. Like, with the amount of medical ad- advancement that they are able to, that, you know, they've obviously gotten to at that point, it makes me, I completely believe, that we could have extended lifespans at that point. But it just was never hit hard enough. Um, yeah. Should we even know why uh, this episode, why people think this episode is so shitty?
0: Yeah, I mean, so, like, I, I kind of started postulating about that in this, with the scene where Janeway is in, uh, pe- he goes into Paris's very nice, uh, very nice quarters, which he didn't get removed from when he got demoted to an ensign. I don't think, No. Um. sadly, I loved ensign Paris. I did like the sort of like,
1: ooh, camp. Captain's catching me in my PJs moments, and Janeway just coming in and making herself right at home, foreshadowing for later events in this episode.
0: Yeah, so he's sitting there and he's like you know, he's doing the you know, the stereotypical, oh, I need this, I need this, uh thing that is kind of a, a, a trope in television writing or even just fiction writing. And uh they've 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 manufactured his uh his enzyme that uh his enzymatic imbalance, which um the two percent risk—I mean, that's that's kind of the absurd. Whole, the whole thing,
1: yeah, it just doesn't feel very. It feels like they needed to fill five minutes, or at least just like, or at least make the point that this could be potentially very dangerous, and here's why. And then, but it, it, like, it, it ends up that like his mutations have nothing to do with that enzymatic imbalance, right?
0: Well, I would assume so because Janeway also becomes a salamander, yeah. so that's not really clear. I mean, the doctor could have—it's uh, just what happens when you go to warp ten. Yeah, Is that clear? Well, I mean, so you've got you've got Paris with this massive chip on his shoulder. Yeah, okay, going to Warp 10 would be a historic thing that, should they ever return to the Alpha Quadrant, a lot of people would, would really be concerned about, or would really consider a big deal. But he, he's going around with this chip on his shoulder. I, I guess, I, I'm not really sure where he feels uh, he needs to prove things to people. He's the helmsman on the ship, which... I mean, he, he's this is the first time really since Wesley Crusher that anyone is truly caring about the helmsman of one of these ships. I mean, obviously, Dax and later mm-hmm. Nog, Helm the Defiant, but that's not the centerpiece of Deep Space Nine. So, I mean, he, he's a lieutenant. He's a member of the senior staff that also includes Harry Kim for some reason, even though those a lot of other lieutenants on them. I always think of Harry Kim as, like, bringing up the youth or, like, bringing up just all the Lower Ducks people. Yeah, he's more Jar Jar Binks than Neelix, in my
1: opinion. You get the sense, too. I mean, um, I kind of like Voyager's inclusion of Harry Kim in that sort of in that sort of sense because Voy- it, Voyager didn't really... in. <laughs> didn't really address its own premise very much after the second season. And it's like, they have an infinite number of crewmen. They have an infinite complement of shuttlecrafts when really Ensign Kim probably has a spot on the senior staff because there isn't anybody left in ops who has his expertise. They could have all died.
0: So people always like to say that, that deep space nine was the, you know, the middle child or the, you know, the redheaded stepchild of the, of the series because it always kind of has to play second fiddle first to the next generation and then to Voyager. But a- a- as true as that may have been from a production standpoint or, or from the, w- the way that behind the scenes stuff worked with, um you know, Berman caring more about Voyager than, than Deep Space Nine. Voyagers mm-hmm. has a a a, I mean, uh, Deep Space Nine has a recurring cast that is is deeper the bench is deeper and more fleshed out than really all the other series combined and that's still probably pretty true even if you throw in the discovery people so oh yeah for sure yeah from a voyager standpoint i mean if you ever want to have a conversation with people about voyager's recurring characters you really kind of have to make a leap by implying that any of these people are important like vorrick or michael jonas or yeah. conan or H- hogan sorry or joe carey who appears a, a couple times in the beginning and if that's a character that really could once to die yeah and then and then he's he's in two uh like one flashback one alternate reality episode and then he comes back and he and he dies and it's you know, the show didn't really have a character kind of like what O'Brien was in the first couple seasons of The Next Generation, right. like somebody who is is not an enlisted guy. Yeah, he's he's not important, but he's also somebody who does have a personality and who the audience can kind of, you know, Ay- Ayala on uh, Voyager. You, you, you can't you can't even remember really Ayala. You can't really write a paragraph about him other than like just uh, just biographical like details of. Where he stood during each episode. It's, is yeah. he, he doesn't have a personality. Vorek only has a personality in the Ponfar episode. Um, and then like Hogan is void, is, uh, like be somebody to talk to for Balana in, uh, a couple episodes and is really for, for no reason killed in the opener of the third season along with, uh, Seska, Suter, I think in just, you know, writing off the Kazon. So, I mean, this, this episode, this episode, the only person besides the main cast who factors in is Jonas, who's advancing the really mini, the mini little uh, trader plot line that extends for, I think, like five or six episodes. And yeah, um, this was actually pushed through. If I'm looking
1: this. Is one of my favorite subplots, just because I feel like this isn't a subplot we get in any other Star Trek. There's no ship that's out this far. There's no ship that has as mixed a crew this does. There's no ship that has people on it who are like in intense disagreement with the executive decision to stay in the Delta Quadrant. It's so the again, the K's on themselves, however much you like them. The idea that there's a spy aboard Voyager dealing with a, a former Maquis. Who is an who is a Cardassian? I mean, there's so much context to that relationship, and there's so much context within Voyager to his position on the ship, to Seska's relationship with the crew of Voyager, to everyone's kind of like it. Just it feels like a complex political story to a degree, just given all the different, um, uh, given all the different agendas at work and how this is legitimately happening under Janeway's nose. But then throughout the course of the series, they actually realize what's happening, and you real. I think it's um, which episode is the, I think it's called invest. I think it's investigations uh, and yeah, yeah, it's investigations. And that's when Jonas has found out. And that's when Neelix goes to Janeway or like has his little morning news program and he's streaming and explains to everyone that there's a spy on board and Janeway's like, what the fuck, get him up here. And so he comes into the ready room and Janeway's like, yeah, we know this is going on. We're trying to fucking catch him. Can you calm it down? Um, But that, yeah, it's like five or six episodes per, it is kind of the through line of most of the season two, most of season two serialized storytelling because it's adjacent to the Kazon and then everything comes to a head in basics after Jonas is killed a couple of weeks before. Um, But these are, those are some of my favorite episodes of Voyager, just period. Like Maneuvers is a really good one. I love Alliances. There's just a lot, it's very complex and kind of interesting what they do here and they're just they don't serialize to this degree ever again. And I think the show is the poorer for it.
0: Yeah. Especially when you look at an episode, uh, like deep space nines blaze of glory, which, uh, saw the end of Michael Eddington, the dramatic payoff of, a, Oh yeah. Of a character who, I mean, he was around, he had a little bit of a personality. Um, but, but he is kind of, a, he, he's, he's kind of a wooden background security officer that who's made redundant by the introduction of Worf. And then they figure out a way to say, okay. Mm-hmm. Let's do something about the Maquis that really, uh, it's one of the best episodes of Deep Space Nine. The way that Cisco just really, I think it's probably the greatest Cisco, Cisco runs out of fucks. Yeah. Like just runs straight, goes into fuck debt. And it's like, all right, that's it. That's it. You've just, you could, uh, that episode is pretty much as gray as, uh, in the pale moonlight. Maybe, maybe not. As,
1: yeah, I tend to think of that one in terms of when I think about Cisco's like, it, um, you know, distorted values or his his or his compromised values. I always go to the Eddington thing less less than I do in the Pale Moonlight. Yeah. As much as I love both episodes,
0: and he's even got Worf, you know, you know, strong, strong, fierce Worf being like, okay, I think this dude's a little nuts, saying like, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna just. Start. Well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's a, that's about as dark as Trek goes. And Jonas, he's a little uh whiny of a character, but you have uh, you had Suter in season two who was about as dark as uh Well Year of Hell was a really, really dark Voyager episode. That may the two-parter may actually be my favorite of uh all of the Voyagers, but I like
1: I there's a lot of Voyager that I like post season three. Uh, I just don't like, I don't think I liked any season as consistently as I liked season two. Yeah. Or as much as I liked it. I don't know. There's just, it's, we get to see Janeway be kind of a cowboy. She's really like, I like that because Janeway's authority is questioned a lot. And it was sort of, it felt really emblematic of just what it is like to be a woman and what it was probably like to be a woman and working in genre. Because a lot of this is pulled from Jerry Taylor's, a lot of Janeway, Jerry Taylor said that a lot of Janeway's, is in her, a lot of a lot of hers Jane Janeway, and part of me is just Jane, Janeway is kind of besieged at every opportunity during season two, and so it just really watching watching that group of episodes really bonded me to her and like made me such a Janeway stan. And she just doesn't; it just chills out a little bit after that because they stop doing the serialized stuff some more and they focus more on making it just a nicer, sort of cleaner version of Next Gen. But
0: yeah, they um we do see some of that in this episode where. uh the, the sort of swamp thing type Paris before he goes for full salamander is uh, yelling at, at Janeway. And she she understands that this dude is not well, but she's not totally going to take his crap. And uh,
1: yeah, <laughs> when he's yelling at her and she's like, OK, cool. I think I'm done.
0: Yeah. Cool. And uh, bye. He wants everybody to leave and. Uh, there's that scene there where, uh, where Kess is also really, really emotionally tied to Paris. I always wondered with Kess, uh, she, she views Voyager as her family, and yet that's kind of another area where the lack of recurring characters maybe serves the show's detriment because she's like, you know, is this really her family or is like 0.005% of this, maybe not even that, that small, but, you know, 0.2% of her, uh, the crew, her, her friends. You have the two, um, the two blue shirts bring Swamp Thing Paris into the really sparse and barren uh, sick bay. And mm-hmm. I kept saying, well, why can't one of these people be the doctor's nurse? Because uh, Kess does that role. And then Paris himself later uh, is assigned to not only be the helmsman, but also the voyager nurse, despite. Yeah, this
1: because he but- worked as
0: a field medic for
1: like a week.
0: Yeah, why can't they, you know, <laughs> why can't they... Yeah, Please it's just way. find someone else. What's Samantha Wildman doing so much that exactly. she can't... But uh, it's... Token it's, pregnancy. I will say, you mentioned something that
1: reminded me. Uh, I think one of the reasons I also like this episode is that it, it's dark. And I always like it when Star Trek goes dark. It's probably a little too dark when he pulls out his tongue, but... I, I kind of I like the sort of horror ramifications of horrific ramifications of this. And I really think um, Robert Duncan McNeil sells it like I'm genuinely sad for Paris as he's dying in this medical bay talking about how he used to go to his room and cry as a little boy. And he just gets kind of delirious and monologues until he dies. And that's when Cass like gives him this sweet kiss goodbye. And it's really like within the episode, it's just a really well-rendered moment. And it feels, despite the fact that obviously he's a contract player and this is episode eight of twenty ten or episode eight of twenty-three, then you know, he's obviously not dying there, but it feels like it. And I think for any show that's for any network television show where you kind of knew at the outside this guy wasn't gonna be in any danger at the end of it, it's an impressive it's impressive to me that they were able to to pull that off. So that's that's one, of the, that's one of the levels that this episode reaches me on is that I think Robert Duncan McNeil and really everyone around him do a pretty good job just sort of being agape at this entire situation.
0: Does he sell Paris as somebody who lost his virginity at 17 or do you think he was lying about that and it happened later?
1: I remember hearing that the first time when I was like 13 and I was like, 17, that seems old for you, my friend. I feel like he's one of those little, like, real, like one of those, like, rich kids who managed to, like... I don't know, He always reminded me of, like, Dr. Carter in ER, and I was like, I bet you, like, made friends yeah. with the family housekeeper, and that's how it happened. I was
0: always more of a Luca guy, so I... Uh, oh, Luca. I loved, uh, I loved... Or, uh... I don't care about Carter. I just thought it was interesting that that's how he lost his virginity. Yeah, I... I could, I could go... ER is one of my favorite shows. Um, I mm-hmm. could go on and on about that, but um, we will go back to... Uh, threshold which um i guess that it was a good opportunity to showcase paris as because he he does really have a vulnerable so he's a nerdy he he's the guy that they sort of turn to as sort of a ladies man but that's also just of the fact that there's no real characters on the show like the i i think that the two biggest uh ladies men on uh deep space nine would be cisco and then gold ducat uh I in know. terms of just sort of Macho masculine like which was funny in the Deep Space Nine documentary, if people listening have seen it, um <laughs> how grossed out Nana Visitor was about uh Mark Alamo's uh the, a potential Kira Oh my god Kira Duke- That made me so uncomfortable. Like
1: she was t- like my, I think Iris Steven Bear seems like a fine guy, but the fact that he was essentially teasing her over the idea that she would have to have a romantic relationship with what we learned to be is an actor that no one liked on set and also looks like he could have been kind of a creepy one and then makes it her oh, yeah. mother. Like, I remember even watching that episode. I was like, this is fucked up for Star Trek. Like, this is really gross and unnecessary and kind of a little too... I We didn't have the word for that at the time, but like a little too Shonda Rhimes.
0: Yeah. I, uh... Definitely, and you've got you've got Paris, who in a lot of ways exhibits sort of the worst traits of uh, season one, Bashir, and also of uh, plenty of people who uh, are either listening or love Star Trek. Love Will Riker. He's never been my cup of tea. He's got his chauvinist. I,
1: I he a, like. I guess it's I don't probably... know that
0: Riker is. I think Riker is less
1: chauvinist, like less misogynist, and I, I think that's probably partially due to because who's always yeah. been. Extremely progressive and extremely liberal publicly, but yeah, I, I do. I think that he's he's so. Ch- I feel like he's definitely an example of white male privilege. He's never really that impressive. He's just really charming.
0: Yeah, he, he he's never. um I, I've never. I've when when he tries to go after a girl in the next generation, I I've never heard. If I were in that person's shoes, I would not have. Uh, I would not have found him. All that attract I, I was always more of a, a wharf person. That's the <laughs> next generation person I'd probably want to I mean, to it would be exciting.
1: That. Um I feel like I feel like Rikers got a little bit yeah. too much game. He's just one of those guys that's a little too good at it. He's a little too good at flirting, and I'm like, I don't trust I, I don't trust that you're I don't trust you, sir.
0: And there's a Yeah, there's a couple options. I, I guess if I had to do a ranking of the Voyager men that I'd want to sleep with, I'd probably mm-hmm. it'd probably be Chakotay, then the Doctor, and then Probably uh, Swamp Thing, <laughs> Paris. Um, it, yeah, I, that that part of the episode, I almost, I, I paused it to kind of uh, see where the time on it was because it, it, it's kind of a point where Warp Ten becomes not. They inject so much history in it just by mentioning. I mean, the name Zefram Cochrane is so. Uh, you know that's an iconic person from start you know the original series and then you've got um how am i blanking on his name i know his name the james cromwell babe uh yeah and uh, you got the james cromwell version who's in uh first contact and then uh kicks off enterprise I, you know and uh, I, honestly yeah. another another anno- thing that annoyed me about discovery was they didn't have any member of an old star trek just sort of easter egg cameo or something in the first episode that's your tradition yeah i know <laughs> come on yeah they um so i mean they 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 spend the first episode really in star trek lore and then they second half of the episode is you know they go from star trek lore to salamander lore and i see yeah yeah i i just I, I looked at it and there's this disconnect and just sort of reading about the episode obviously brennan braga had uh, uh a couple drafts of it but it, it almost seemed like they they took out some pieces uh, you know maybe not that this episode would have been a good two-parter but it, it feels like maybe they had too much script for a 40 minute and they condensed yeah. it and then lost lost in the way are these uh Maybe scenes that connect them, which, which makes the Paris virginity. I need this. I need this uh, scene kind of odd because they probably could have cut that and done something else. Also, I mean, we don't learn. Well, he's seen everything when he comes back from Warp 10. He doesn't, you know, Oh yeah, for, he doesn't really they, talk I, about it. <laughs> he's like everywhere. He's just everywhere. Yeah, they 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 shot for the stars maybe a little too much on that one. I, it's like, I know. definitely,
1: this was a criticism that I read and I definitely kind of, and I'm, I internalize it now more that you're saying it, just the idea that we start with one, ta- with warp time, this incredibly big concept, which the show works to make you think is a big deal. Janeway specifically is like, your name is going to go down into the list of like historic pilot and on the list of like on a pretty, you know, historic list. There's Orville Wright, blah, 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 Zephyr, Neil Armstrong, Zephyr and Cochran. So we're told that this is the level of achievement that that is. And so the idea that eventually it just goes, it's all for naught in this really strange way. I can see how that would rub people the wrong way and seem really odd and weird. I I really, I still, I still really like it. I just, I like that. I also like that Janeway has not a whiff of embarrassment once it's over. And she just totally teases him after the fact. I, I just love that dynamic.
0: Well, they, they decide to let the the baby salamanders stay on the planet, which I, I just from a... Also, oh, no, yeah, questionable. <laughs> I wonder, like, okay, if... if They they talk very, very little about what what probably would have been one of the more impressive medical uh, achievements in Star Trek history, which is the reverse engineering of uh, two, yeah. two people who are, are yeah. full salamander... <laughs> Back, that was crazy. back into person. I mean, it's it's it it, it would be. I mean, like like it, it's something that not even Pokemon goes near the the notion of deevolution or uh, sort of re- reversing. Uh, you know, a, a, as a as a transgender woman, if I if I were to just start taking male hormones again, I would not just revert back to the, the way I used to look. It would be uh, kind of a mess. Um, Good to know. Good to know. Yeah, I tend to look at that and the mess that is Tuvix through a trans perspective because, you know, pretty much anything related to endocrinology or splicing genes together in the Tuvix sense, those tend to be one-way journeys. You can't put that stuff together and take it apart and then put it back together the way it used to look. It just doesn't work like that you know i think transitioning would actually be a lot easier if we had uh if we were able to study the endocrinology behind tuvix because uh boy they really did a good job taking apart that poor guy and uh you know that's a, probably a moral discussion for another episode and i look at the salamander i'm like as, as it relates to the I hesitate to even say the word evolution with regard to the Mm -hmm. uh, Paris to Swamp Thing to Salamander progress. But um, these kind of concepts, they really are sort of meant to be uh, one-way tickets. And I think that's something that the show probably didn't consider when it started out. I mean, they've done a couple episodes uh, uh, where, where they've... Uh, surgically modified people to look like Klingons or to, I mean, Voyagers.
1: Yeah, I think they're intentionally vague about that kind of stuff. Because if you notice, Seska has a smaller forehead when she stops doing whatever the fuck she's doing on the Kazon ship. Like, we're never explained, like, what she has to do to maintain her anatomy. And within, what, a few weeks, maybe? Like, maybe months? she's Like, her, her cartilage is essentially growing back. Like, it seems like it's a permanent surgery, if you ask me. And I don't feel like she was in her room, like, in her, like, on a crowded McKee ship sharing a bunk with people, like, using some sort of hyperspanner to make sure that her cartilage didn't grow anymore. So I think it's, they have intentionally not really figured out the science around surgical alien stuff. And so it's just all vague on purpose. And then you get stuff like this where like literally they were transformed into one type of animal and the doctor just repairs their DNA completely.
0: Yeah. I mean, they don't even have blankets in sick bay, which I thought, I mean, I, I guess I kind of
1: also, why wasn't he in the morgue? Why was he just sitting out in that table after he dies and the doctor finds him again? Like Paris has just got a blanket over
0: himself. Yeah. And they don't have any other like, I guess, well, that's kind of the point that the Doctor is the uh, only medical person, but, uh, you know, just how how busy the Next Generation sickbay or the original series sickbay. Yeah. I mean, um, Bashir is probably not as busy as the other ones in Deep Space Nine, but um, it, it's just so sparse and barren. And I guess the Doctor doesn't uh, care that much about comfort but he tells Janeway to spend three days there I sat going yeah what's she gonna do for three days sitting there look at like an ipad or I'd something th- I would go
1: <sighs> yeah sorry no I was the same I I heard I'm like three days just beam her back to her quarters they're probably 15 feet away like what are you?
0: <laughs> well yeah because they they do the um the the mechanics of the site-to-site transport aren't super super clear i mean just from my understanding uh you do need the um transporter room to be a buffer i mean the one other thing about voyager that's always kind of i've wondered is oh yeah you did it's like just transport on the ship is not a good idea I forgot. yeah and um but but for for voyager for a crew that really doesn't go off world that much uh the notion that somebody's job is to be in the tra- and they have multiple transporter rooms and they do over the course of the series just Oh, transporter room two, transporter room three. They they say all of them. They that, that's a ship that needs one transporter yeah. room. Uh, and are these all manned at all times? I, I, they they never really answer that. Nope. Nope. And well, this episode also, I the whole the whole Paris goes evil. We have to do a search for him, and the idea of taking Janeway with him on the ship. Uh, none of that really. Yeah, they kind of are just uh, like he went really either. fast,
1: and then he went crazy, and then he stole Jane and he went really fast again. It's like this really strange uh, Talladega Nights sci-fi mashup.
0: Yeah, and he's he's supposed to be sick and in pain, but also can drag can knock uh, Jane out and drag her to a shuttle and pilot. Yeah, it. he's got a lot of there's a lot of planning because Tuvok Tuvok's not an idiot. He's one of the smarter uh i like i like tuvac a lot as a character i wish he'd gotten more Uh, tim russ plays him really well he had a sarcastic line at the end when chakode uh and him go to rescue the salamanders um (laughs) he's funny yeah Yeah. and he's uh he's the first full vulcan on uh as a regular character i mean not that the series has a ton of uh vulcan characters but yeah he's the first one yeah, and, you know, Spock... because the series regular. Spock, yeah. Yeah, and we don't even... I mean, we don't see that many Vulcans, period. The next generation... I guess the next generation probably wanted to avoid them just to avoid uh, comparisons beyond, like, the Sarek episodes. Yeah, yeah. But,
1: I, think the Vulcan, I think the Vulcan species had... Well, I mean, I guess sort of Klingons, so I don't know what to deal with. Um, I think Data was maybe the answer to sort of the same idea as a Vulcan of somebody who's sort of, like, who's logic and lack of emotions st- often stand often stand in curiosity to the, the way humans do things. And so I think data provided that element. Um, but I think, yeah, but yeah. differently than Spock would have. And I think that was a show that was probably pretty conscious of how much they could ape the original series or and how much they should.
0: Yeah. It's um, it's also just funny that Tuvok would be full Vulcan on, on a series that has uh, a half Klingon and that's not really something that's super super explored, except maybe for the episode where Balana's worried that she's just angry a lot. Yeah, I I don't I know there's a lot of people who just loathe Balana Torres. I'm not really one of them. I think she's I just don't care about her. No, I mean Jordy's not really my favorite character either. I love Scotty, uh, but the the engineer. I mean, it's it's such like a it's, it's so much of... It's kind of a thankless role. Yeah, so much of that job is just literally to be like, more power, Captain! Or, I can have this done in three hours. you have 25 minutes? What? Which this episode does have. I will say... I don't love B'la- It's interesting. I don't
1: love Belana just as a character, because to me, it was just the... I, she just seemed like she was a teenager, kind of caught in this, like, I'm half Klingon and half human, and I don't know where I belong, and... um. I'm not biracial and I'm not mixed in any way. And I haven't had to deal with any kind of discrimination based on my family or heritage. So there's probably a reason this didn't speak to me on very many levels, but she had always just, I don't know. I felt like we'd seen her like with Ensign Rowe. I feel like Kalar was a lot like Bolana, and sort of, here's a Klingon woman who can't control her emotions and can't control her her anger. And that was always Bolana, And she was always a sort of headstrong to, to temperamental character. And but she did get some good episodes. Like, I remember really liking Dreadnought. um, Yeah, that's a good one. And there are a couple of others that I actually really that I enjoyed of her. So she I yeah, she just doesn't really move me that much. And I think that's kind of frustrating for somebody who got as much screen time as she did.
0: Yeah. And uh, Joe Carey was supposed to, I think, be the engineer. And then they gave it uh, to Bellana as a way to uh integrate the maquis more into the ship and that makes
1: sense they don't
0: it does but i i guess with voyager one of the other struggles is it probably should have i think it would have been a lot better of a show if it had been like 25 percent more like battlestar galactica just in terms of not only the grit and it doesn't even need to be oh voyager 100 percent
1: Oh my gosh. That's because that's why like Ron Moore went off and made Battlestar Galactica after he tried working on Voyager and he kinda came on and was like, Brand Braga, why 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 is this ship always pristine? We're seventy
0: five thousand light years from Space Dock. What the fuck? It is very pristine, especially when you look at like I, I think Deep Space Nine and Voyager, their sets have aged really well. And you look at like the Next Generation set. Actually, I think the original series' of sets have worked very well. Like just the 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 carpeting and the the sideboards on the Next Generation. You look at that. Like oh, that show was made in the eighties. Eighties. Yep. Yep. Um.
1: Actually, Johnny Kulisinski, my co-host, on the Disco Shrek and on Got Thrones, is um. Who has who's guest starred on your on your show Episode before? Episode three. Yep. Uh, of the Game of Thrones recaps. Oh Yeah. Um. He actually confessed to me something that I'm just, just totally shameful, and I'm absolutely going to out him for right here. We were at the Star Trek exhibit at the Paley Center in Beverly Hills uh, a few weeks ago, and he mentioned that he was. He was like, I, I have to confessions to make. And we love Next Gen, and we grew up like we bonded first over loving Next Gen when we first met, um, in like middle school. And he's like, the Enterprise D is my least favorite ship. <laughs> I nearly fell over and he was like it's really dated and i I, yeah. I I still love her and it still breaks my heart when she is murdered in generations but uh yeah yeah i i, can't. I,
0: yeah, I, I agree with him completely it does look dated and i like generate I, I love when they have to evacuate the ships or when they have to separate the saucer mm-hmm. any of those like beyond Sertrick Beyond is such a forgettable movie for so many reasons, but that, that whole sequence I thought was excellent. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Where they, where they just have to like get everybody off the ship. And, uh, it's, you know, cause this isn't, this isn't an action heavy, heavy, uh, series. Uh, and Voyager had a lot of really good action centric episodes. I love all the, the Borg episodes Mm -hmm. and Janeway is such a commanding presence. And, uh, the episodes where where the doctor gets to play captain, and he switches to his red uniform. I like also. He's, uh, oh yeah, such a such a fun such a fun character. But um, I guess to bring it back to threshold a little bit, this episode's been like threshold is sort of a launching point to talk more about the the rest of the show. But I I, I think I, I think people I think it, it, as a it catch. It's almost like a lightning rod episode in the sense that because it had something as notable as you know being called the <laughs> Salamander episode, it sort of is a lightning rod for all the criticism that uh, could be applied to a lot of the uh, yeah. other episodes. Uh, some of its worst. I always I always describe Voyager. Voyager has some of my favorite episodes in the series, and it has most of my least favorite episodes and whenever people like whenever i talk about enterprise to uh versus voyager sort of which one is the the worst of the trek shows I, I always say well you know voyager had better highs but it had better lows is that better i i guess enterprise enterprises uh seasons three and four are pretty good i think it's tough um, to compare voyager and enterprise because Enterprise really did get
1: better towards the end of its couple of seasons. And had they been allowed to continue, I think we might be having a very different conversation. Uh, I yep. will say in, I will, I think you're right. I think, I think threshold is a, is a huge lightning rod for other problems in the series. And I think it's really easy to poke fun at because they become salamanders and have kids and chain like wink, wink and leave sick bed. Like it's, it's ludicrous, which is part of the reason I like it and I think it's pretty well sold, but I will say that I like, I I agree with you that I think it's a lightning rod and people love to shit on it, love to hate it. But I also think there's way worse episodes of Voyager and there's way worse story ideas in Voyager. I would posit to you Chakotay in the fight. Boy never boxed a day in his life before, like, before in any point in time on Voyager. And all of a sudden, it's a massive part of his personality. Same with Janeway and her affinity for Irish stuff when Paris creates that holodeck program and she falls in love with the bartender. Like, there's, I feel like there's so much worse that that show did to those characters in later seasons
0: than. uh, Or Chakote and his spirit quest, which is just for a show like Voyager to do in the Delta Quadrant is. Very, uh, very questionable. And I mean, Chigure as a character got screwed. I feel Um, like there's
1: so many, like, and there's so many, there's so much actual indigenous culture you could represent on Star Trek. And I don't understand why they made up a tribe. Him and cause it just makes him look ridiculous. And it sucks because I mean Robert Beltran remains and was and remains very vocal about not being happy with his time on the show. And I think you're right, it's because Chicote was done kind of a disservice. He basically rolls over for Captain Janeway immediately. And as much as I love the idea of them boning so much. I, 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 there are episodes to me that were always the most interesting between them are the ones where they butt heads, especially early on. Like, alliances is one of those episodes. He encourages her to make an alliance, and she's like, What the fuck? And he's like, You got to do this. This is ridiculous. I don't think you're listening to people who are here. We don't have the Federation at our back anymore. We got to make some tough choices. And eventually, he's thrown down. But like, those are that's when they had interplay. That's when their relationship was really cool, it's kind of like Cisco and Kira, where he would stand up to her a little bit.
0: Yeah, I I agree. That um or the and then he was capable of a lot of really touching moments when they're stranded together and they have to share the tent and they have to sort of survive and it's I, know. I mean, you know they're going to you know, you know, you know they're going to, you know, wind up back on the ship, but it <clears throat> Voyager Voyager probably um after the next generation is the is the series that feels the most mm-hmm. like a family. They uh th- they mention that a lot. The characters have uh you know, the 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 iconic Star Trek friendship for me will always be Bashir and O'Brien playing on the Alamo.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Adorable.
0: And that moment where like they both kind of cautiously admit to each other he's like, and
1: I love Keiko, but I might I might like you a little bit more than her. Yeah, it and Bashir's like, I love Esri, but I also might like you a little bit more than her. <laughs>
0: it's really cute. Their, their their departure I mean I bowled my eyes out during that the whole what you left behind uh two-parter but um that one I cried the most during and then probably when uh well the the odo the Odo court goodbye is not really one that you're it, that sort of triggers the tears but it was really touching and you could tell that the it's kind of a moment where uh the fourth wall is maybe a bit broken and it's more of the actors saying goodbye to each other than the characters.
1: Yeah, and I never Where'd really you-
0: needed – I didn't need, like, that much from
1: from Quark and Odo. That episode where they're, like, stranded on a planet and Odo breaks his leg and Warp keeps, like, fainting or something every time he sees it. Um, that, like – Yeah, that's a great one. Yeah, like, that, that episode right there was them, um, like, both of them saying they hate each other and starting to laugh. That was kind of all I needed from them. It's like, hi, like, we hate each other, but we kind of don't really – Um, but the, I agree with you. The Bashir O'Brien thing was like, yeah, I need you guys to hug it out. Maybe make out a little, out a little bit. Let's honor this friendship.
0: Yeah. This episode really brings out, um, it, it can be kind of clunky with the way it handles Paris. Like the, the, the scene where he's in with, uh, sitting, sitting with Janeway, but, um, and, and then I guess also just when he's, uh, he's got the captured Janeway and he's looking very, uh, I he's not even that's like his uh, in between of Swamp Thing and uh, Salamander. He's like, he's got more of a it's almost like I I don't take it. You're a big uh, Dragon Ball Z fan, but uh, uh, I'm not now. There's a arch villain Frieza goes through like four different transformations. This would be like I I was just thinking uh, a comparison between that and this because you have like four different mutations of the 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 full salamander and uh i I...
1: there's one where his temples just look a little irritated and then he like it's then it's then he pulls out then there's like
0: pulls out his tongue and then it's like very smooth salamander and then salamander yeah and he's almost got that kind of cardassian lines across his face a little bit with sort of an obvious bald cap that's got a little lump he got very bad complexion and needs moisturizer needs Mm -hmm. to do a facial uh maybe he maybe that's what uh maybe that's what the doctor used to get him better. Maybe it was like grayscale with Jorah. Maybe. That's uh we have been on we've been on a roll lately with in the post Game <laughs> of Thrones episodes with sneaking Sergora and even even with guests who don't watch Game of Thrones, but uh <laughs> <laughs> oh, He'll
1: oh. never be rid of him like Grayscale.
0: No, and uh maybe 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 Samuel uh helped helped uh, the 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 recipe for curing curing one's uh curing one salamander-esque i mean this episode it gets so progressively weirder and weirder that like the they use ex machina ending is almost just like where where it had to like leave off because you're sitting there being like how did this happen why did this happen maybe even a when did this happen it it, it. There's just so many questions when, when you leave it. And I, I guess that's probably why I have so much more affection for this episode than, I mean, there's just so many forgettable episodes of Voyager. And there's a lot of the Star Trek trope of like, oh, one character gets lost. We have to go rescue them, those kind of things, or the ship's going to explode mm-hmm. or that kind of stuff. I mean, these are just, it's, it's, it's Trek. It's episode, Voyager an episodic TV show. It's, it's going to have, the episodes are bound to some of them kind of look the same. And then so many of them that, you know, you just look at the uh, episode guide and you're like, I don't remember that one. I remember that one. And you've seen them all. And this one, I- I'll always, I- I'll always love the, the really. I- I- I'd much rather always watch really bad lowbrow television than like middling something that's, yeah. you know, forgettable rather than terrible you
1: may hate threshold but we're still talking about it some 20 years later
0: yeah literally
1: 20 years later we're still talking about it
0: and this is a show that really could was capable of really emotional scenes some someone to watch over me is Mm. one of my all-time favorites i resolution you tear up yeah and then the the one episode where the doctor has to grapple with the fact that he he probably showed favoritism towards saving Harry Kim as opposed to the, yeah. the random or just deadlocked Deadlock
1: Two is one of my favorites because it's such a good sci-fi Star Trek episode and at the end it manages to within one hour of television manages to kill off every major character on Voyager and make you feel it. And then also make you feel like you're not coming away clean because there was a baby that died and a Harry Kim that died. And even though they're on a different ship, it's not quite the same. Like, Oh, Oh
0: yeah. And I, it- it, I guess it's frustrating with the lack of recurring characters when you think about later on. Uh Ichib, I think was a pretty good uh introduction. And he he had a he wasn't just there as an extension of uh exploring Seven of Nine. He he did have his own arc and he had he had a most of his episodes are pretty good. And he's one of the few recurring episodes uh he's one of the few recurring characters to get a couple episodes where he actually does stuff as opposed yeah. to like Boric Yeah, and I kinda was I-
1: I wasn't mad at him and him and Q Junior's thing. I'm like, this is kind of dumb, but I don't care. I'm I'm also into it. I'm into anything Q. Yeah, it does not take a lot. You put Q in an episode, and I'll probably watch it a couple of times.
0: Yeah, it's kind of the bummer that Q. Uh, he makes three appearances. That one is uh, a couple seasons after his last appearance, and it's I, probably the least Q centric of all the Q episodes. Maybe the deep space nine one where they bring him and uh how am i blanking on the the uh vash mm-hmm. vash that's her Jennifer name, right? the, the picard yeah she appears with that that's a weird uh that's that's like that's what i call that's the deep space nine era before it was deep space nine
1: yeah that was really uncomfortable because q is essentially like keeping her hostage
0: and it's gross yeah, and he doesn't belong He doesn't. Cisco has no time for Q's bullshit. No, no, he, he doesn't at all. Is-
1: I was so happy that, like, oh my gosh, that only lasted one episode.
0: Yeah, and it, I, the 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 Q Picard re- relationship that that Janeway Janeway and Q kind of they it's similar, but they have their own dynamic. That's something that Cisco obviously had with um with with Dukat. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you there. Yeah. It, yeah, yeah. He had his, uh, the, the, the nemesis. And I really liked, you know, the, in terms of continuity, season, season two is the only one to really build on things episode by episode. But we do have in the later seasons, uh, once they make contact with Starfleet, you do get a couple episodes each season that really do play off that. You have Reginald Barclay, who's not my favorite cup of tea anymore because the actor is, uh, isn't he? He's very alt right now, isn't that? Oh, that doesn't surprise me because Reginald and Barkley liked to have sex with holograms. It looks like his coworkers and everyone thought that
1: was just fucking fine.
0: Yeah. It does kind of add uh Dwight, Dwight Schultz is uh conservative and um, not to conflate the tube, uh, but um, yeah, I know yeah, I'm being, unf- I actually, I am a long time. I feel the same thing about
1: Barkley that I think you feel about Jorah Mormont. I find him to be odious. I find him to be a really shitty yeah. stereotype of nerds who are just too, cre- just like too unsociable and too friendless to really understand how to properly behave. And I just remember watching hollow pursuits, even as a young girl and just being like, that's disgusting. Like that's really, really fucked up that he's doing this. This is low key. I didn't have the vocabulary for it at the time. I'm like, that's low key, a form of rape. I just like, this is really, really, really gross. And you guys are placing it under the umbrella of just like hopeless nerd activity I'm like no this is this is harmful and disgusting and I hate the light that you're painting it in, and I hate that he's like this charity case for majority and for the rest of the engineering staff to like make sure that Barkley's doing okay and I'm like why don't you make sure Barkley's keeping his dick out of things that look like his coworkers? just straight up
0: yeah I mean I I, I like that Paris isn't really like obviously Tom Paris is entitled and that's something that I mean that's something that probably propelled his uh decision to join the Maquis. although i mean we just don't i feel like the episodes that really touch on that are more from a perspective of like these are facts in the in the episode bible that somebody looked at and then used as a launching point to just draft that specific point versus you know something that's organically mm-hmm. being built upon from a couple episodes i mean that's obviously a product of the fact that the show really You know, went more self-contained, but um, there's a, I mean, there's, there's a, there's a couple distinct eras of Voyager that are kind of easy to see. I mean, some of that's obviously uh, propelled by the Seven of Nine era versus the Kess era. But, um, you know, season two with its mini serialization, season three, sort of, where do we go from here with the Kazon, and then they start getting into the point where, I think it's the the episode where Neelix starts to get anxiety because he's, Worried that he's not useful anymore because they've gone past the space that he would. Know. I know <laughs> that's such a cute episode. <laughs> he's so freaked out. Yeah, it's it's. N- n- I have liked the way that Neelix is always uh, sort of. I, I think part of why he's so upbeat is he's um. He's the outsider, and it's not which which isn't to say that you know half half the crew are supposed to be outsider, but you can go. Uh, you could probably count the number of episodes that mention the fact that half this crew are Maquis, probably on both hands. It's, it's never really that big of a plot point beyond, uh, I guess maybe the first, the first season or two cover that a little bit. Michael Jonas's decision to betray them is, um, kind of built off that. But to, to really, to really do more of like, okay, here's my key, here's Starfleet, you, you gotta, you gotta stretch a bit. Well, and
1: I kind of, if you look back at how Voyager, um, I think it would have been interesting, like, I kind of like the way they handled the Maquis at some point. It did sort of feel like they were seamlessly integrated fairly soon, but you're right, like, with the Jonas thing, we have those last vestiges of disloyalty, um, and later on in the, like, once they get those letters from home and they realize that they lost, there's, and the Maquis are utterly decimated as so sad, um, you know, Taurus deals with that in a post-traumatic stress disorder kind of way. And it's shown to have a really big effect on the remaining Maquis crew members that everything's just done now. Right. Um, I think, I think they could have done more, but again, like, that's the difference between Voyager and Battlestar Galactica. Like those wounds run deep on Battlestar, which is why it's a much more cynical show. Voyager had a different job to do.
0: Yeah, they um they never did anything with the, you know the the, the pilot we have I think they only have twenty eight proton torpedoes and <laughs> that never food I mean replicator rations what no oh you guys figured out how, like like dilithium or some the 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 catch all like mineral they use to like make basically everything with their transporter I mean it's convenient they have those but not super I mean maybe maybe the best thing that Voyager did for uh maintaining how how sort of uh desperate things were was they never replaced their uniforms uh deep space nine gets the first contact uniforms after after the movie comes out i remember that yeah voyager didn't they
1: spoke they said that at some point and i'm sure it was just down to budgeting but they were like yeah we're not doing it on voyager which no no
0: i think it actually uh, i think they actually didn't do that because they were stuck in the i mean they could have replaced their uniforms but um yeah, like, why waste the energy at this point? It didn't really make sense for a... Because uh, they wouldn't have known that their uniforms got changed. Although there's the episode where, with Andy Dick where the doctor goes to the, the ship, um, which is <laughs> which I love because it's, it's the... St- I was thinking of Andy Dick trying to get into the Jeffrey's tube backwards. <laughs> <laughs> it That's the one episode so where... Stupid. Yeah, it was stupid. No, I loved it, but- Yeah, the one episode where the Dominion is mentioned. Oh, that's right. That's right. And the Dominion could have made a really great villain for uh, the uh, a movie, but we never got a Deep Space Nine movie. We did get Janeway in Nemesis, which is fun. She looks
1: really good in Nemesis because her hair is fucking back up.
0: Yeah, I would love it if she appeared in the Picard series along yeah. with Captain Dogg. We
1: could do an entire series. We could do an entire like episode of like who we want to see in the Picard series and how it should be paced out. Because I'm kind of fine with him not meeting or... I, would, I really, really want them to hold their wad until at least season two. Because they only have three seasons planned and they're probably not a lot there. I'm assuming they're only like 10 episodes. So I just... I don't want... As much as I would love to see... We've gotten a lot of Next Gen. We have... You know, seven years of next gen, 100 and some episode, 175 episodes, four movies. There's a lot of next gen content. I want something new. Like, give me, give me a picture of him and Beverly someplace, and I'm happy.
0: Do you think he ended up with? Who do you think he ended up with? Did he end up with Vash or? Uh... You know, a lot of people speculate
1: that he at some point would have ended up with Vash, and I always feel like she was sort of a one and done because they were so different. But. um I think if anything, it was either going to be Crusher or that like one hit wonder Nella Darren who's in lessons. I think it's a season six episode. Um I honestly don't think he put up yeah. with anyone. I think that the point is that it's that the destruction of Romulus like just sent him over the deep end and he's lived his life in and largely in seclusion. It's, it's the impression that I'm getting.
0: Yeah, I wish that they hadn't killed his family in I think generations they yeah. die, right? Because, oh, it's the worst. Yeah, that movie's not very good. Uh, it's, I watched it again recently and I was like, OK, Jesus, this is why is Kirk only in the last 15 minutes? It's true. And I, I like Kirk a lot. I know that if there's one one member of the Star Trek fandom, that's uh, apparently <laughs> not a big fan of the disco track. It's William <laughs> Shatner, William Shatner, William, uh, William Shatner, that's actually about actually, it. He accidentally blocked uh Alexandra's podcast because uh somebody else sent him a mean tweet <laughs> so That's uh, yeah that was that was a, that was a fun morning not for not for not for the poor woman who who incurred
1: his wrath but um yeah from the yeah, sidelines that was that was an that odd was. and
0: interesting ordeal it was um do you have any uh fi- back to back to threshold do you have any uh final sort of concluding Thoughts um, I, about? I watched it for the first time in a couple
1: of years this afternoon, and I have to say, like, I've, I maintain sort of. I think there's still a lot about this episode to love. It's weird. I get it, but Robert McNeil, Robert Duncan McNeil is pretty good. And again, if you look at it through the lens of Jane Wade, like having boned her pilot and then just coming off of that and basically checking her watch and being like, "All right, we got to go." I think that's kind of funny from a feminist standpoint. Because he's, I enjoy the fact that like it's flipped, and he's the one that's embarrassed, and she's like, "Come on, weird as a part of the job." Um, but in all seriousness, I, 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 still like Threshold. I still think the fight is worse.
0: Let's, yeah, there, yeah. there's just so many episodes that I like less by default of. I can't even think of them, and that's yeah. I knew th- I knew going in that Threshold was uh, infamous. I've seen it. I think I've seen it at least three times. The last time that I had seen it before uh, I rewatched it for this one, it was, I was up in San Francisco. Uh My sister was playing in the junior Olympics for water polo. And there was a Trader Joe's across the street from the hotel where I'd bought some cheap bottle of whiskey mm-hmm. and uh had a habit of uh carrying it with me where, uh, to all the games. <laughs> and we got, we got back after dinner and I made myself a, scotch and soda, and I just decided I was going to watch Threshold. I had been kind of watching uh, going through Voyager again. I'm like, I'm I'm drunk enough to watch Threshold again. And I was watching it, and I remember waking up the next morning thinking to myself, I don't remember so much of this episode because so much of it doesn't make sense. And then I kept going through it again. I'm like, nope, nope, nope. You actually, this episode is uh, full of plot holes. Not, maybe not plot holes, but just like plot yeah. leaps, leaps forward that that don't make... And that's something... You could go on so many Star Trek episodes and there's this glaring problem that they just, you know, shout out random, random technobabble. Oh, we'll solve it. And then they do, you know, I can get this to you in an hour. <laughs> nope, you have less than that. Done. That's the Star Trek formula. That's how you solve every problem in Star Trek. Shout sciency sounding words and cut the amount of time you have to solve it. And there, you're done. Um, It... It feels like a stage play in a lot of ways, cause they're really, it's just such a, such a intimate cast in this one, more so than all, like, Voyager may not have a lot of recurring characters, but it, it does have a lot of, uh, there's usually more guest stars, whether they be aliens or I guess they're usually aliens cause we know so little about this crew. Uh, and it's even, I mean, Chakotay barely factors into this episode uh tuvok barely f- uh factors into this episode you got cast for basically a scene it, it's essentially a janeway paris uh centric episode with some help yeah. from uh kim and the doctor and neelix early on and it and neelix early on and it it when, when neelix is kind of there as exposition and yet it's it's not really like he's uh exposition to what it's kind of just aimless because it's not like it's not like their explanation gives the reader uh the viewer any any real clear sense of what the hell they're trying to do and they kind of just lose interest of, in that halfway through and it it's like it's it's part it's part you know ingrained in the star trek lore uh half and then part bizarre sort of uh horror movie the kind of like uh low budget yeah. movies you see from like the asylum uh that 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 don't make a ton of sense and and yet
1: strangely watchable
0: i mean yeah i get a lot of my uh narrative pleasure of watching trek uh my two favorite am i deep space nine is my absolute favorite i can gush about i almost i haven't done a podcast episode on deep space nine because it's just like I, I, I'm not a hundred, I, I don't know where I would start. I would, right. just, it would just be me sitting here being like, I love this. I love this. I love this. I love this. Um, I, I'd, I'd have to like really carve out a specific thing I'd want to talk about. But like, in terms of my fa- absolute favorite self contained episodes, the original series is just, it's just got so many of them. And it doesn't hurt that I'm attracted to basically every member of the main <laughs> cast except for probably, uh, ch- Chekhov and, um, Sulu's is really not my type as a as a gay mm. guy. Uh, I don't. Um, he he strikes me. Uh, he strikes me. It, mirror actually, mirror universe, Sulu. I would sleep with. I would not sleep. I would with. sleep with every single person in the mirror universe, male and yeah. female. Well, smiley, smiley um, would probably. Mirror be. universe
1: is where you want to explore your sexuality if you're going to do that. Mirror start-
0: Tuvok. Well, Captain. Um, Captain Philippa would probably uh, marry Prime. Uh, that's that's her name, right? The Captain Giorgio. There we go. No, the from Discovery, Michelle Yu's character. Yeah, Captain Giorgio, and then Emperor Giorgio, Emperor, Emperor Yeah, Emperor Giorgio would probably be my favorite mirror universe person. To sleep. I'm not sure I could handle that, to be honest. I know um, that's
1: the thing. She almost frightens me. I don't feel like, I legitimately feel like part of the sex act would be her killing me and eating me. And she obviously
0: wouldn't tell me that. So I just don't know. I'd have to. Think about yeah it. i mean i could i could basically do another star trek episode I, I 60s william shatner putting aside the fact that he's blocked a member uh a, a person on this episode uh i love 1960 he's got this sort of faux bravado i i've just been watching uh the uh remastered the captain marvel's shazam series that aired decades and decades ago and it's it's ridiculous. It's like a live-action Captain Planet, basically, not really a superhero series. But I just, I love 60s, 70s camp mm-hmm. on TV, and Shat, Shatner just, he, he fits that. He's just got this just faux bravado about him that I, I just love. I, I, I still find him attractive. Boston Legal is one of my favorites. I know Alexandra likes that as yeah, well. Yeah, I'm actually uh, fine with Shatner as an actor,
1: um, which is interesting because a lot of people I like was- to, to to shit on him for that but i think he's quite good and i enjoy a lot of his later work I, I it's weird to me that i love star trek this much and the original series leaves me generally so cold but that has nothing to do with shatner um i just i think shatner's lonely and on the internet too much
0: that's that's certainly true threshold will always have a place in my heart i love all the really <laughs> bad episodes of star trek and this is actually if you did a bottom 10 of the of track this would probably be my favorite of the absolute worst episodes. The uh, the third episode of The Next Generation, the, the right... Re- yeah, it has balls. You can say this about Threshold. It has balls. Yeah, the... the sort of conspiracy. Well, the oh. other, like, the other two... Um, the other two episodes that really get um, considered as the, the worst of the worst would be um, These Are the Voyages, which is hated not so much for plot as it is just the fact that the enterprise finale was really a next generation episode and then mm. um uh, i think it's uh, code of honor uh, the third episode of the next generation people don't like because it's uh racist um oh yeah yeah it really is yeah that um so with that in mind threshold is a bad episode that that Unless you're somebody who's obsessed with warp theory which we covered earlier, I mean that that's not that's not really a reason to hate it. And you can hate it because of the salamanders, but honestly, what other episode is is this sort of goofy and bizarre and just like, okay.
1: Exactly. Like Sub Rosa?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It
1: could it's not as bad as Sub Rosa.
0: It's It takes skill to be there we've had what's like 700 episodes of this of this series. It takes skill to get in the bottom for reasons other than, you know, like racism or just shitting all over uh, the ending of a show that was canceled before its time. So, for that threshold, uh you done good. Um Tom Tom Paris does have his This is Tom Paris's maybe his finest hour except for the um the uh, some of the uh Captain Proton it's episodes really I, I the really like
1: Tom Paris episode I can recall the title of if that Shows you where I'm at with it.
0: Yeah. I mean, I like the Sarah Silverman Earth episode a lot oh, yeah. because it's just weird. Well, I guess and like solely Tom Paris episode. Right. Yeah. And Tom Paris, and I've said it before, he's my least favorite regular character in the whole series, and I don't hate him. And that's, uh, that shows the testament. Star Trek's really done well with a lot of its characters. Yeah. It doesn't have, um, it doesn't have somebody as great as the, um, you know, uh I guess some people... uh oh, I, I like Tashi a lot for being the first lesbian character in the series. <laughs> yeah, obviously she's not really a lesbian, but yes, she is. Same same way that Garrick is gay, as Ira Stephen Bear confirmed, yep. but we all know yep. that. Um Tom Paris, you know, if he's as bad as it gets, that's really not so bad. And Threshold, if this is as bad as it gets, I'd rather watch this than, you know, probably there's probably 40 or 50 Voyager episodes. I'd rather watch less than that or the entire first season of DS9. uh, Uh, yeah, I, I sometimes have fun with that, but, uh, Bashir is annoying in that one threshold. Uh, it's always fun to, it says something about this episode that, um, I've, I've wanted to do a Star Trek episode for months now. And, uh, this was where we started. So, uh, uh Threshold will always have a special place in my heart and uh really excited that Alexandra decided to join for this uh strange, strange episode. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, do you want to tell everybody where we, we can find you again?
1: Yes. Um you can find me at ALX August on Twitter and well really all social media at A-L-X-August. You can find my work at StarTrek.com, fandom, screen rant, and comic book resources. And uh, I also do... A Star Trek podcast called the Disco Trek podcast that William Shadner has personally blocked by mistake. <laughs> and uh, we just finished my co host for that, Johnny Kalizinski, and I also finished up our Game of Thrones podcast, Got Thrones. So if you're interested in listening to backdated episodes of that, a lot of them are available on iTunes and Spotify and Stitcher and wherever you can steal good podcasts.
0: And uh, that's one of the very few uh, podca- game of thrones podcasts around that uh, that joke. That yeah, re- resurrect, resurrect that joke for the closing <laughs> minutes of a Star Trek episode. That if there's uh, any any uh, any crossover between the Game of Thrones listeners and that, there we go. We have continuity too. Unlike Voy- <laughs> most of Voyager. But uh, thank you, thank you everybody for listening i hope this has inspired you to go revisit everybody's favorite salamander episode and thanks again and we'll see you next time (laughs)